0: Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, and I'm your host, Julia. And on today's show, Melissa is back, and we are talking about Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. The film was released on November 1st, 1996, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes as the title characters. The film grossed over $147 million, At the time, The Hollywood Reporter wrote, a clever and well-executed reworking of the timeless Elizabethan tragedy, Baz Luhrmann's follow-up to his widely admired Strictly Ballroom won't replace other top cinematic versions of the same story, the Oscar-winning musical West Side Story, Franco Zeffirelli's exquisite traditional take, but the young target audience of this series should find this one tough to resist. In a 1996 review of the film, Roger Ebert stated, the desperation with which it tries to update the play and make it relevant is greatly depressing. In one grand but doomed gesture, writer-director Baz Luhrmann has made a film that A, will dismay any lover of Shakespeare, and B, or anyone lured into the theater by promise of gang wars and TV style. This production was a very bad idea. Since then, the reception of the film has been mixed. Some reviewers on Rotten Tomato issued praise, while others, film critics associated with prominent publications, haven't been so kind. One Rotten Tomato user said, Romeo and Juliet is stunningly detailed, perfectly cast, fun-fueled, immersive experience. A true love letter to one of the best movies of the 90s. This event is an absolute must for fans. Get ready for the party of the summer. While another stated... A slick blast of decadence, the kind of violent, swank, trash music video that may make you feel like reaching for the remote control. Melissa is back to discuss. Welcome back, Melissa. Hey, Juliet. Okay, first, let's dive into a recap of the movie. So for those who um, maybe haven't seen it yet or aren't familiar, and who better than the bard himself to explain? Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. And then another iteration from IMDb for those of you who may not be super obsessed with um, Shakespeare. (laughs) Here we go. The classic story of Romeo and Juliet, set in a modern-day city of Verona Beach. The Montagues and Capulets are two feuding families who children meet and fall in love. They have to hide their love from the world because they know that their parents will not allow them to be together. There are obstacles on the way, like Juliet's cousin Tybalt and Romeo's friend Mercutio, and many fights. But although it is set in modern times, it is still the same timeless story of the star-crossed lovers. All right, Melissa, we're going to get into it. First question. Do you agree with the positive Rotten Tomato reviewer or the negative and why? Oh, so, all right. (laughs)
1: First of all, let's get into it. This is like one of my, this is like one of my favorite movies. So I, I don't agree with that, with that negative review. I think that negative review is garbage. Um, I think (laughs) that that nicely. (laughs) Uh, to put it nicely, respectfully, garbage. Um, I, and part of it is, so I'm a big, I am a big Shakespeare fan. I've, I've uh, done Romeo and Juliet twice. Um, I've played the nurse and then I, I helped stage manage it at one point in time. So I know this play really well. Um, I thought that this was a great rendition of it. And I think that pretty much everything in Keith, I don't really know why he hates it as much as he does. I understand not liking taking Shakespeare and putting it into a different um, a different time period. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like when that happens. But that's kind of the point of Shakespeare. So if you don't like when that happens, then
0: sucks for you. Yeah. There's so many different types that, first of all, I also, I disagree with the negative reviewer. I don't think it's a swank trash music video. I think that's a totally bullshit. Not. and I do think that what is beautiful about Shakespeare is all the adaptations that have come since then. Right. Like, right. like the, like the, um, who was it that I, just, I literally just read it. Oh, like when um, the Hollywood Hollywood Reporter comments that, you know, West Side Story is a re, you know, reimagining, and that movie is mm-hmm. beautiful, which it also gets yep. a revamp coming up in December, I believe. Um, yep. But it's like, how could you, how could you, you can't, sure, be a traditionalist, but also... <laughs> we wouldn't have 10 things i hate about you we wouldn't have kiss me kate which are, i understand are all taming of Look, the Shrew adaptations but still like we wouldn't have west side story it is,
1: it's fine it's fine to not like the idea of old english of traditional shakespeare set in the 90s i okay sure whatever the the language doesn't match up and it's a little bit obscure for some people especially if you aren't very familiar with shakespeare However, if you know the story, you know that this story is a timeless story. It can go in any timeline because it's about young love that turns into tragedy. Because when you are in love, when you are 14 years old, 13, 14 years old, and then that love goes away, it is heartbreakingly tragic. And you feel like you're going to die. Right. And though that's not true. But you do feel but that. You do way. feel it's that. Devastating. It's devastating. And Shakespeare brought that feeling Mm -hmm. that we kind of make fun of as you know as adults we kind of make fun of teenagers for feeling that way and being so overdramatic about their first boyfriends and about their first breakups and all of those things but it is detrimental at that time and and at this point in time when Shakespeare did write Romeo and Juliet people didn't have the longevity that we do now so being in love at 13 and 14 years old was was the epitome of love that was, you know, that was kind of your peak, right? You're going to die at 30.
0: Yeah. And, and for, (laughs) For me, this film actually, I mean, I I knew we've had, we had Shakespeare in the house. My mom and dad met in theater. Um, But for me, this really did sort of open my eyes to something other than my parents' Shakespeare. And so this Mm -hmm. idea that you're rebranding something to catch a new audience that maybe wouldn't have explored Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. I think is a really good strategic move because he's In every English course, I've got two degrees out of English departments, Shakespeare's the gold standard. If you're writing a play, he's the gold standard when it comes to storytelling. So, but the language that he uses is so outdated that this is giving people an opportunity who maybe can't relate to the these and thous Mm -hmm. and the way that they speak to each other can now sort of see themselves in that story.
1: Well, not only that, and then it brings context. It does bring correct context to what Shakespeare is saying. So even though you might not, like, maybe in high school, there have been people that have read Romeo and Juliet and they, they understand it. Mm-hmm. They, they get the gist of the story, but they don't fully understand it. Right. And then they see um, this rendition of Romeo and Juliet that is updated and revamped and kind of it's kind of cool and it's really flashy and it's really action-packed and and that is super accurate to Romeo and Juliet by the way it is not boring it is filled with action and death and murder Mm -hmm. and and just freaking craziness um and so it gives it a, a good context for people to be able to be like oh oh that's what we're talking about
0: oh okay yeah in high school we studied Shakespeare and they showed us the Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet because the one from Baz Luhrmann was too risque but I tell you what yes it's a beautiful beautifully done rendition but it's boring as fuck because we're not we're not we weren't the generation who could sit through it (laughs) you know so I'm like it's 1999 no, I'm I'm like, 15. I'm not I'm not into this particular rendition. As an adult, I can totally appreciate Zeffirelli's version completely on a different level. But at 15, guys, what are you doing? Don't do that to high school kids. Right.
1: And also, it's not like Shakespeare puts in emotional stage directions for mm. his actors or for these right. characters like other like other um, playwrights do. Right. And so this can literally be. It is a like a, like a blank check, almost. You can do anything with it. You can set a Shakespeare play in any timeline, in any
0: time period, and the story will hold true every single time. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's what's, and and I'm not necessarily in the camp that Shakespeare is the gold standard personally, because of all the English classes I've taken, who are like, this is the golden God. I'm just like, I get it. Another white guy is the golden God. Thanks. But, but it, it, I, I appreciate how there's so much room for interpretation in his right. style so that way you can sort of bring it and keep it current and keep the whatever the tone is at the time you can bring it in and it still works mm-hmm.
1: so like we were watching it last we were I was re-watching it last night with my husband and um, and I was just like you know what I love about this and like so you you did an episode on the Gilmore Girls right so yeah. I know that you're gonna understand what I'm about to say <laughs> Um, in Gilmore Girls, in I believe season two, when Logan, when, uh, when Rory is at Chilton, um, and they do, oh yeah, they, they do this, mm-hmm. they do Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah. And at Chilton, they have them pick a scene from a Shakespeare play yeah. and put it in a different time period and try, and, and Paris totally messes it up and puts it in the Renaissance because she's Paris and whatever. Because <laughs> she's Paris but and she thinks she's right. Because she's Paris and she's always right. But, um, I, I love that because it reminded me of that, right? It reminded me of like, okay, this would be like a high school production. <laughs> like if they picked, okay, I got, I got Romeo and Juliet, and then they picked out of another hat, and then they got the 90s. Right. Smash it, smash it together.
0: I, I just... love that. I did. I I did too. Okay. So let's talk about the cast and characters. You know, this film is 1996. So it's the early days of Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio's acting careers. My soul called life had just ended, which was Claire Danes TV show. And if listeners, you haven't seen that show, it is on Hulu it's owned by ABC. So get your butts over there to watch it. And my first encounter with Leo was growing pains, which was like, Oh, such a great show. Starring Kurt Cameron, but we don't need to talk about him. The rest of the cast, however, was star-studded for its time. So to name a few, we have John Leguizamo, Paul Rudd, and this is post-Clueless, Paul Sorvino, Ben Dennehy, Christina Pickles. For those of you who may not know who that is, she was Ross and Rachel's mom on Friends, and Jamie Kennedy. That's just to name a few. So with this newer interpretation, are these updated versions relatable for the time? And do they hold up? And were they appropriately cast?
1: I mean, yes. The, the for My answer is I think that this was perfectly cast, perfectly cast with the exception that I, I would like to see more color in it.
0: Yeah, you know what? It's interesting. So the first time I watched it, it probably was the first time I saw a black man be such a crucial character. Mm-hmm. And given how young I was when the film was released, I was 12. Um, that's kind of, you know, at the time, I don't really think about it. But now, in hindsight, as I reflect on what I've seen, I think, oh, I was drawn to Mercutio, his yeah. care, his freeness his fluidness, which we didn't call it fluid back then. His, his just, he's oozing sexuality, but it's not in a grotesque or obscene way, or at least I don't think it's obscene. People might disagree with me with that on that. And I thought he did such, the actor did such a great job as Mercutio. He was beautiful without being arrogant and just had this, you could tell, you could see it in his face that he loved Romeo so much. I also thought John Leguizamo was sexy as fuck.
1: (laughs) I mean- yes 100% agree there Marc Crucio is my like he's my favorite character especially
0: the mono, his monologue oh he's so good um, it was so good I cried again I watched it yes yeah day, but two days ago to prepare for a conversation and I got chills just bump, chills. emotional
1: mm-hmm. and it's just it's such a beautiful rendition of that monologue yes that isn't Sometimes Mercutio is kind of whiny. Yeah. Sometimes he's played kind of whiny.
0: And I don't understand if that's a direction from, you know, a director or if the actor thinks that that's what needs to be done, but it doesn't need to be done because he's he's the best friend who has this undying love and just wants to, he just wants what's best for his best friend. And this actor yes. did such a great job at portraying that and yes. embody, embodying he- that
1: he embodied the desperation that he needed to have to want to want something for his friend and I think that that is a that is something very hard to portray um wanting something so badly for your friend like not wanting to lose a very close relationship um to something else and Mercutio does such a great job in his like oh my god he's I love his rendition of that monologue it's just amazing and then I also love this where they do it how they do it on the stage and he's doing the monologue on this stage and I just love how much we go on the stage I know we'll talk about that later but like oh I just I he's probably my favorite character um besides Leonardo DiCaprio being cast as Romeo because he's just such a he is. He's Romeo.
0: He is. And you know what? I he had the is. biggest crush on him. I had sneakily watched, I think, did what eating Gilbert, what eating, what's eating Gilbert grape? Did eating that come Gilbert out? Grape. Did that come out before Romeo and Juliet? I feel like that was 94. Yes, yes. And so I had sneakily seen that at my um, aunt's house because she let me watch PG 13 movies, even though I wasn't allowed to. And that I just, he beautiful. did such a great movie job in that movie. And then again, growing pains, he was this little skinny kid. And I just had the, I mean, who didn't have a crush on, who doesn't have a crush on Leo? I
1: had, I had, okay. Do you remember, do you remember when they used to make those little booklets, like little, little books about Mm -hmm. the celebrities? Mm -hmm. Okay. I used to have one about Leonardo DiCaprio. I used to, I also had Britney Spears too. I had
0: that I had. That's awesome. He loves ketchup. Okay, so admittedly, this is super embarrassing. I wrote a fan letter cuz remember in like Teen Beat or Tiger Beat or something like that, they would like list where you could send fan mail. So he's 10 years older than I am. So I'm literally 12 years old writing this letter using a different color crayon for each sentence because I thought he would think that was so interesting. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so- sent it off clearly I never got a response like that's like psycho killer shit if Leonardo DiCaprio is listening to this I
1: really hope that he's looking at your fan letter right oh now oh my god so embarrassing like, like, ah, I got
0: it I still have, it's probably went into an incinerator but you oh know <laughs> I think sorry sorry, sorry. Right, the things you do, and now it's like you have to just tag them in Instagram when you say stuff about celebrities. That's not the same as handwriting a letter. It's not, it's not as creepy at all. It's not as creepy as all, at all.
1: Lord uh, have mercy. Did, so, like, my one thing, my my one casting issue with this movie, though, honest, if, if I can be totally honest, I'm not a big Claire James
0: fan. So, I was reading. That she wasn't the original option. I I read, I forget where I read it. I can't remember if it was, it was what I pulled up like 20 articles in preparation for this. And one of the articles had reported that Natalie Portman had originally been cast. So Natalie Portman was born in 1982. This movie came out in 1996. The child was literally a child, she was 14. That would have been wonderful, though. But because how young she looked, and Leo was, so it's 1996, so he's 20, 21, 22. It didn't look right. It looked like the, the reporter had said it looked like, you know, he was molesting a child because she looked so young on screen. And then they had cast Sarah Michelle Geller but she had scheduling conflict. So she passed and then they landed on Claire Danes and Leo had said, and it was quoted, it's quoted, I think on IMDb where he was like, she's the only one who looked me in the eyes. Like that's our girl because apparently everyone else who came in and audition was trying to be super flirtatious with him and like all this stuff. And he, she was the only one who came in and was just like, took it very seriously um, the audition and playing the role. And I thought that was really interesting because she's, Got sort of like coming off of my so-called life where she was just this tortured, confused 15-year-old at the time, I didn't think anything of it, her being Juliet, I thought it was, she was beautiful and wonderful and all these things, you know, 25 years later, I'm watching it again. And I'm like, she's grown a lot since that movie. And it'd be interesting to see her reprise that role in a different way to see what kind of improvements because there's a level of wisdom to Juliet that I think that is hard for younger actresses to capture.
1: Like there, are, so like it's it's kind of like it's like I'm on the fence about her. Like I don't hate her as Juliet. I don't like I don't I don't horribly dislike her. There were just some scenes that missed the mark. For mm. me. And the thing is with with Romeo and Juliet, you kind of have to judge it scene by scene, right? Mm. Because Scene is so quintessential in the entire story, and so like, um, so their initial meeting scene is one of my favorite scenes in existence because they meet beautiful. But we'll talk about beauty later. Like it's beautiful, but it's it's not just the beauty and the aesthetic of that scene, even though that is like a huge part of it. How they meet and like it's just their eye contact. Mm -hmm. Exactly that. is that eye contact that i'm just like yeah this is this is accurate of how little of how
0: young teenagers would fall in love immediately because they're sweet it it, it had an innocence to it that was just so beautiful it had
1: this like cute little innocence this wholesomeness of they just see each other and they see they each see this beautiful being on Mm -hmm. the other side of glass and it's it's gorgeous it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous to me um and so that one I love that scene I her balcony scene their balcony scene to me is the best Romeo and Juliet balcony scene is it makes me laugh every time when he's on the trellis <laughs> and he's holding off onto the trellis and she's and he's like this and she's talking and she's not being over dramatic she's literally questioning like where is that guy like, where did he go? Like, where is Romeo? Like, mm-hmm. I missed him. I just saw him. Where? Shit. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he's on the trellis. He's on the trellis. Like, <laughs> she's talking about me. She's talking about me. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> right? Because that's all we want is to know how our crush feels about us. <laughs> like, because they... Am- it's they're so just... cute. Yeah. And that, and that, I feel like we showed, if we showed that to teenagers
1: they're going to understand that they're going to understand. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. This isn't like some over dramatic, like why is she so over dramatic? She just met this guy. Well, she's not she's not she's like confused because she's 14 i do a teenager.
0: yeah i do love that they did cast paul servino as her dad i thought that was a great choice um he just has be especially because they do bring in this sort of mafioso feel for the families to pull it into like a modern day and he just kind of has that sort of mafioso presence but not in everything yeah. that he does, which is nice, right? Like he can sort of, he's a good actor in the sense that he can ad- adapt that sort of persona when he needs to. And I thought right. that was a great move. And then I loved the guy that they cast as, it's not Friar Lawrence in this version, it's Father Lawrence. They changed yes. it to Father. And so I, I thought that was a great choice too. I,
1: I love that. And then I love- It's just like, it was like a really weird detail that I picked up yesterday, but I was just like, wow, that's a freaking fat back tattoo that guy has. Right. And that is like the best cross. It's
0: so big. And like, that's the, that's the, that's the sign of like, oh, that's the
1: father.
0: And it's so giant
1: cross tattooed on
0: his back. On his back. And it's subtle because you don't, do you, do do you, you, I know there's a scene where you see it through his shirt, but I can't remember if there's any other opportunities that we see it
1: when okay when he's uh we first see him and he's talking about uh the poison in the plant and oh, uh-huh. he makes the, blue, the blue vial he's yeah. actually shirtless he that's doesn't right. have a shirt on at all and that's then right. he like he gets the call and goes downstairs and he grabs his Hawaiian
0: shirt and throws it on over. that's right I remember now I also loved yeah. um John Leguizamo as Tibolt hmm he did such a great job and you know he would I don't know if this is his first like really serious role but you know at the time he was doing all of these sort of goofy type of movies so I wondered I should mm-hmm. have looked it up to see if people were nervous about him playing Tibble but he I think he crushed it I loved uh who played, who played Benvolio um the tall guy with the like reddish hair who is like super yes. adorable and does ball is like an accomplished yes. ballroom dancer and I think yes. he dated Alanis Morissette for a hot minute. Yeah, I know exactly. I, I can't. I can't. I couldn't. I was like, I can't say his name. I've. I don't know how to pronounce his name without hearing it, so I'm not gonna put it in the. <laughs> but he's so cute. He was on a couple episodes of Felicity, which I loved, and he was just such this '90s. I don't want to say '90s darling because that's what we say about women, but he, in my mind, he was because he was he in was a lot of, of stuff. From- he was such a hunk and he was so tall and like sexy, like oh Benvolio. <laughs> I loved him. He
1: he did such a good job. And the thing is is that like um he, he was like good um good comedic. He he had like that good comedic good feature to him. Like he just really good timing. He was very quippy with Leonardo DiCaprio, like I really I thoroughly enjoyed him like he's definitely up there in in my favorites
0: yeah I did also love um so remember the kid in bring it on who plays the brother they he they moved to Torrance and he's I love that he's in it he played he's a very small role um he's the guy who tells Leo like he's part of the gang but he's the one who drives out and tells Leo like I saw her she's dead
1: Oh, he's uh Balthazar. That's it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Oh my
1: God. That is, oh my God. That is him.
0: Mm -hmm. He's so cute. He
1: took, oh my God. And this is pre bring
0: it on. So, you know, this is totally
1: pre bring it on. Mm -hmm. That's hilarious. I like you said it and I was just like, that that's hilarious. Right. Yeah. I love, and I like that he did it and he like, he, like, tries to get him out. Oh, no, that's Benvolio. I love Some the scene more. where later, when Romeo runs after, um, after Mercutio is killed.
0: Yeah.
1: And he runs to the car, and Benvolio runs after him, and, like, you have this long shot of him trying yes. kind of out of the car.
0: I thought, and I thought we'll talk about that in a second, but I thought that was a beautifully, like that scene was so good because there's so much going on and there's so many different places to look because there's so many different storytelling elements happening. Oh my God. It was so good. Um, if they were to recast some of these characters, who would we have liked to see to bring more diversity into it? Like who could hold up these roles? Do you think It's not a question I allowed us preparation for. I just thought of it right now.
1: (laughs) Let me think. Let me think. Um actors like actors like now, like current actors. Yeah.
0: Because I can't remember half the actors from the 90s unless they're in stuff I rewatch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um God, that's a hard one. It is a hard one. I think because one, actors nowadays who do we know that has experience in Shakespeare or has, like, decent, you know, training? Like, do we qualify it with, oh, they went to Juilliard or some other really well, uh, Yale drama or something like that to allow them to be qualified to play in this modern version?
1: No, I
0: hate that gatekeeping crap
1: with, with Shakespeare and it bothers me. It does. Like, who the heck is, like, Qualified to do a part. Get out of here. Get out of
0: here. Qualified. <laughs> Go away. Yeah, because like, one of the okay. things that's great about Shakespeare is that it doesn't have to be like we've mentioned. It doesn't have to be this traditional linear sense, right? You could cast, no. and he didn't have women to play female roles back then anyway. So it was all fucking right. men. Anyway. Julia was played by a man. Yeah. So um like, this idea that you could totally like, like, you could have made. More of the gang, like Jamie Kennedy, didn't have to play that role. That could have totally gone to somebody else, a person of color. Jamie Kennedy did a great job because he has these great facial features. His facial comedy, I guess, is what you Mm -hmm. could call it, (laughs) was spot on that he was great in that role. But that's a role that you could have interchanged with somebody else, maybe a person of color. Same with.
1: I would like to be Lynn Manuel Miranda somewhere in there. I don't know why. I just okay. do. I don't even like I don't even like him that much. And like I would actually love to see him in Romeo and Juliet because he's so over dramatic. Yeah, that like, he would actually do wonderful. That that qualifies you to do Shakespeare, being over dramatic as
0: fuck. Shakespeare qualifier, right there. Right there. Boom, you win. Out the gate, out the gate. Right I there. Op- out the gate. I do think that yes, Leo and Claire were really good for their roles. But also you could have like, I don't know, had two had two girls doing it or had two guys doing it. Or I feel like, you know, Mercutio is kind of the the catch-all. And they did that a lot in the nineties. Well, and that's what it felt like in the 90s. We didn't really understand that, you know, intersectionality in the 90s. But at the time, it felt like Mercutio was the catch-all, fluid, black you know had all these Mm -hmm. things but nowadays like that's an action those are intersections that we know and understand a little bit better but 25 years ago we didn't have that kind of language to say like I don't know but Mercutio is the only and then the chief of police chief something or other they called him he was yeah the prince thank you (laughs) see what happens when I when I only watch the adaptation yeah I only remember what the movie yeah
1: well, no, they call him Prince in the movie, which is yes. hilarious. They call him
0: Chief Prince, yeah. They, chief Prince. And I'm just like, that was a, that was a choice. It's a, It was an interesting move. I would love to know more about why they decided to make him the chief of police rather than maybe like some other type of authoritative figure that could have that sort of say to do banishing and to implement all of these different things
1: i don't think that they're like in my because i think that he's like the chief battalion Mm. of like in the movie i think he's like the chief of battalion so i think that because of that like that would like be the equal ranking of someone that would be able to like do the banishing Mm. or the arresting or whatever because he's in charge of all of the guard. Right. And he's in so he's in charge of all the police. So that's all of the guard. So he's in charge of all of like the like punishment I guess.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. But,
1: but it's, still, it's still a choice to call him chief prince though. Just yeah. there. still yeah. an interesting choice.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, we can't talk about this movie without discussing style, obviously. You know, Romeo and Juliet is Baz Luhrmann's second film. Costumes, set, cinematography, all of it is, you know, big. It's big. Roger Ebert refers to this version as an MTV style version. And when you think about television targeted to teens at that time, I can't really disagree because I did watch a lot of MTV at my friend's house because we didn't have cable until I was a senior in high school. Considering the costumes, set design, everything. Does this movie feel like an MTV generation owed to Romeo and Juliet? I mean, Yeah, I agree. But it holds up. It holds up because, and I, well, I say it holds up because I'm not, I'm, you know, it's 12 in 1996. Watching it again this weekend in preparation for it, I felt like it doesn't feel dated to me because even though there's the cars from the 90s, there's still something timeless, obviously, because it's Shakespeare, but the, but you could do Shakespeare and not make it feel timeless. And there's a, so it feels timeless. It feels vintage in a way that is going to be, you know, maintained that can live beyond 1996. I think
1: here's my, like, just because it's like an ode to MTV, like an, or the MTV's ode to Romeo and Juliet. I don't think that's negative. That's like a negative thing. I definitely don't see that as a negative thing. MTV was fucking cool. I don't care what anyone says. No, no one of this generation right now knows how how MTV like shaped oh, all
0: of us. Total Request Live. Gotta run oh, rush home from school real quick because it starts at three and we gotta watch that shit. Carson Daly, we need to know who Carson Daly's interviewing. We, we need to see all those music videos. We need to know what the top music videos are. Cause we didn't have YouTube to hop online yeah. to watch him. We were dependent on they don't Carson even care Daly. About his- People don't even care about music videos anymore well they still they make they them care. yeah music videos are still made and but it's, they're not ooh. like
1: they're not dropped the way that they used to be you remember when someone would drop a new music video and it would be on a friday and they would do the backstage the behind, oh, behind scenes the scenes thing, mm-hmm. um of the music video and then they would drop the video and everyone would like seven o'clock friday night we're dropping a new music video that my was favorite the hot thing
0: yeah. What? My favorite on what? the weekends was the pop-up video. You know how uh, VH1 did pop-up videos oh my and God, then yes. during the music video they sure give you trivia throughout the whole thing. I loved that shit. When I was That's in labor with my son, I watched MTV behind the music in the hospital and in cuz they for whatever reason MTV cannot do that or is it VH1? It's VH1 behind the music. They always air Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. next to each other. Always without fail. And I don't know if that's true now, but that was true 17 years ago. And so I'm laid up in the hospital in labor, watching the behind the music of Tupac and Biggie Smalls. (laughs) I love everything
1: everything about that. It's like, oh, now I understand
0: why there's so much Tupac coming out of my child's room. Because you literally were listening to it while you were trying to come out of my body. Right.
1: Right? Like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. But like with the with the
1: MTV like styling of it, like that that's what made this movie what it was. Like that is the epitome of this movie, is the styling of the movie. And like the the clothes that like the mafia-esque I loved the use of Hawaiian shirts.
0: I thought that was really shirts. Yeah.
1: Oh my God. It was brilliant. The Hawaiian shirts and all of the gold chains and all like just calling, calling
0: firearm swords and then naming them brands of different types of swords that exist. Like I thought that was clever. I also loved how everybody had like an opened shirt, (laughs) you know, like here I am. Cause the puffing of the chest is like a thing, right? Like to show how tough you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And like they all have like the holsters under Mm -hmm. the open shirts. And like it was just, I don't know, it was a, it was great. It was so in your, it was so in your face. And I think that is such a great testament to Shakespeare. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Shakespeare is, if you know what he's saying, if you understand Shakespeare, you know that he's very in your face. It's very blatant. Like this, this, this whole movie is very intentional. It's a very sad, sad story. And it's intentionally very sad. That's why it's a tragedy. And that's why it needs to be so uh, dramatic and in your face. And I think that the styling of it just really held up very well. I loved um, the the grunged out sepia tones that they used in the filters. Yes. Beautiful. Made it for beautiful lighting. Um, the one set scene that, like, I just can't ever get out of my mind, it's the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life is that that stage, that messed up, dilapidated stage on the beach where he gives that beautiful monologue, and then you see it in the storm and you see the beach in the background, and it's just oh my god,
0: it is so they, cinematic gold, yes, so they built that set for the movie and there was a true storm coming in as they were filming that scene and so they film the scene they cut they exit and then the storm comes in and just destroys everything so when they had to go back and do like reshoots for certain things they didn't have the original set to do that with because the storm had ruined it and I when I read that little trivia fact I was like I love that because Often in movies, I wonder when there is a storm scene, are you really filming during a storm or does this like a recreation that you've made so that way you could have it for the film, but it makes that scene so much more authentic knowing that's yeah. a real storm brewing and coming in with Mercutio's pain and sorrow and frustration mm-hmm. and anger. It just culminates in such a way that it feels, it feels like you're there with them. Oh yeah.
1: You're right there.
0: Like you can, yeah,
1: it's, it is, uh, it is palpable
0: mm-hmm. for sure.
1: And it's just, um, yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite things, but they did, they did a great job with this set. They did. It's a, it's a beautiful. So like we, so on my show with Doel, we talk about, um, about uh, musical renditions, right? So we're not going to be talking about Romeo and Juliet because it's, it's not a musical, thing. but but if, if we were to talk about it, this is definitely something that we would dive into more, but it's the, it's the perfect combination of a movie set of seeing mm-hmm. a, a full movie set because a movie set is supposed to look real. It's supposed to be palpably real. It's supposed to um, really take you out of where you're at in your house and into the film. Right. But when you're at a play, it's different. You're, you're on, you're in the venue. You're experiencing it with the actors right in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. And they did a great job bringing that feeling into this movie.
0: Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, the party scene felt really great to me too, in the sense of like, you get the sense of jubilation and just balls out fun. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what I mean? Especially when you have uh, Paul sovino coming up to to, um, John Leguizamo and who's just like, just chill. Don't wreck the party. Don't bring dishonor on my family. That feels don't like do that. A, don't do that shit. And that's like, yeah, that shit would totally happen in real life kind of moment, right? but everyone's in costumes. I don't know what it is about the nineties and like a shit ton of movies, just having costume parties in it, but we need to bring that back because I love it. And cause that Paul Rudd, yeah. Cause Paul Rudd's, you know, an astronaut, um, Claire Danes is a, is an angel. Um, Romeo is um, this sort of knight, and then you have Juliet's mom, who's Cleopatra, and then all these I different like types that. of characters that are that you can see, and then you can kind of see like nods to Shakespeare in within the within the extras in their costumes too.
1: So you know, one thing that I really love about the costume scene is okay. So you've got Paul Rudd in his like he's full his full on you know astronaut yeah. suit, right? Everyone else is in these full on like big costumes. Then he got Romeo and Juliet. Juliet is in a little white dress. It's cute. It's hella cute. Cute dress. She's an angel. angel. It's because she's an angel. No, it's fine. But it's just a very simple, like she could totally wear that going to the store. Okay, that's like a normal it's a normal dress it's not a costume and then she just like threw some wings on it it's really cute it's very teenagery that's totally something that a teenager you do oh my mom is throwing this party I have to wear a costume fine just gonna throw these wings on me. whatever right <laughs> call it a and day call it a day and then we've got Romeo who's like kind of halfway in his costume but then he's kind of not because he's on drugs
0: and so <laughs> can I just tell you that that scene where they're that singing that song and Mercutio is just like relax have fun take this pill it's gonna be amazing and and then he and he does and he's like oh these drugs are quick like I at 12 years old well 13 years old had never really like understood that like dare came to my school in fifth grade but like we all know dare's kind of a joke (laughs) and and different you know anti-drug things, but to see, so I feel like that scene was very, um, revolutionary for its time for multiple reasons one raves were starting to become kind of a big thing in the later 90s I don't really know about Mm -hmm. the early 90s but I remember being like a freshman in high school and people were like we're going to a rave like you're fucking stupid and then I'm really
1: glad that you're that I'm not the only one that had that reaction because I was like no thanks I'd rather
0: not yeah and also I'm very noise sensitive so the bass drumming beat would would actually make me pass out um on that level but two it's you know they're doing this sort of it's so in my mind at 12 I don't think this I don't know what this drug is maybe it's X ecstasy, whatever fast forward 25 years I'm like oh I wonder if it's like something else but I don't know but to see them sort of party prep get ready and then mercutio gets to the party and he's dancing and he's just really getting into the song. I thought that when he's on the stairs and those guys are dancing with him, it was very reminiscent of that scene, that very famous scene in gentlemen prefer blondes when Marilyn Monroe is singing diamonds are a girl's best friend. There's a very similar scene where they go and like do all these hand gestures are very similar. And I, I love that. I, I thought that that was a really not brave, brave's the wrong word, kind of innovative take on a classic scene whether or not Baz Luhrmann <laughs> was intentionally trying to do that who knows but it shows that you can be this beautiful different unique creative person and not have to have sort of this traditional viewing of right. things
1: <laughs> I will say he's definitely taking ecstasy yeah for one that's definitely ecstasy Little pill with a heart stamped on it.
0: That's that's some e. uh, i I, I don't do drugs. I didn't I do drugs like, back then. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I've never, I've never done it before. I just know what that because me, me and Josh are just like, hmm, yeah. Is that is that acid? Are we dropping acid? And then we thought about we're just like, no, we're not dropping acid because that would be a square thing. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. And like we're very bad at drugs. Like we don't do them. So we're just like, we're pretty sure. But so we we talked to another friend. We're just like, oh yeah, that's definitely XC. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, thank you for confirming that for right. <laughs> um, right. But when he says like the drugs are fast, I loved uh the cutscene where mm-hmm. like he's just like tripping out and then you just see him in the water. Yeah. And, the
0: yeah. Cause he's got to, ref- he's got to do something to bring himself back. And honestly, at the time I, I didn't realize that that was him having a trip in. I just thought like, I don't know what I thought, you know, at 12, at 13 years old, I had no idea what to think about that scene other than like, Whoa, this is like stimulation overload. Um, you know, but now as an adult, I'm just like, Oh yeah, I that's never, totally.
1: Well, that was also, that was one of the scenes where I, I didn't understand it when I read it mm-hmm. when I was young. Like when we were in high school, like we would read that scene and like we knew he was, we knew he was doing drugs. Like it says, it says it right there. We knew that he was doing something and that Mm -hmm. like they gave him something. But like we don't have the context of Renaissance time era of what drugs they would have been doing. I have no idea. Like I've thought about it multiple times. Just like I don't know what he would have been doing. Mushrooms? I don't know. Oh, maybe mushrooms, maybe some type of opium um, liquid to put. Because like sometimes it's portrayed as like they they drop something into the wine that mm. he drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I never I never really understood. Like okay, so he's on drugs. How is he supposed to be acting if we don't know what kind of drugs he's doing? Right. right. And so when I saw this scene in in this and like he's taking this pill. And then it shows him like tripping out. Yeah. That made sense to me. I was just like, oh, oh, right. That, there we go. That there we go. That's yeah. what we're, that's the crucial missing part of right. my brain.
0: So I remember when this movie came out, obviously I keep talking about it. I was desperate to see it because hello, Leonardo DiCaprio crush coming in hot. But my parents had this very strict rule of, um, that I had to be 13 to watch PG-13 movies. I had to be 17 to watch rated R movies, etc. So it was released on November 1st, 1996. Um, so by the time it came out on video, I think it was like the spring. So my birthday's in March. So it worked out. It timed perfectly for me to actually like rent okay. it and watch it. And it was so excited. I still have the memory of sitting in our love seat popping it into, I don't remember if I rented it on um, VHS or Laserdisc, but I rented it on something and popping it in and like watching it, it was kind of a rainyish feeling day. And like, which I felt was like the perfect type of weather to watch this movie. And I was just like, so excited. I was Laser finally, disc. right. And I was finally <laughs> able to be a part of this sort of like huge teen cultural event because everybody I knew was talking about it and I was just like I haven't seen it I'm not allowed to blah blah, blah. so let's talk about our overall opinions thoughts and emotions about this film I know it's big (laughs) I do
1: so like I remember I remember when I watched it for the first time um I was about so I because we're uh, when it came out in nine, so it came out in 96.
0: Mm-hmm. 96, 96.
1: So 96. I was I was only five when it came out. So I was I was younger. Um, my mom was not strict. Didn't care what I watched. Quite honestly, I watched so many inappropriate things. I cannot even tell you. Um, <laughs> so many. Uh, but I didn't watch this until, God, I was like like nine, okay, nine or ten, okay. Um, but I remember my mom, like, I remember it being on MTV, like it was just on TV at that point, And it had just started and my mom was just like, you got to come and watch this. It's like, okay. why? <laughs> <Bye. laughs> she goes
0: Leonardo DiCaprio isn't it and I was just like oh okay he is so dreamy he okay. really was for a skinny little kid you know now when we see high school teenagers portrayed they're like buff and meaty and lean oh, right? and it's like I don't understand right? <laughs> like get out of here Zach Efron like oh. when like we had like scrawny little
1: skinny actors and you know what? I'm okay with that. And then we wonder why we're attracted to the men
0: that we're attracted to. Like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm obsessed with basic white boys. Cause my first well, Leonardo DiCaprio right? wasn't my first crush, but still I watched obsessed a lot with of tall, movies in the nineties.
1: Tall, skinny white men. Yeah.
0: It's a that's the thing for me. That's my vibe. Yeah. Same. Like I don't even know but uh but so, just, no, so we, can I remember watching it. we can just blame leo
1: we can just blame leo it's 100% his fault
0: yeah
1: um but but so i remember watching it with my mom and not not fully understanding it because i had never read shakespeare i hadn't read shakespeare and i hadn't read anything yet um but i just really loved it i loved it i don't know what it was about it because i didn't really understand what was happening but I loved it. I loved the storyline and I knew that they were in love and I knew that something was happening. I had never seen anything like it before. And then like, flash forward to when I'm a teenager and I watch it again and I was just like, oh my God, I understand so many things now. Right. This makes so much sense now. And it gave me kind of this like, some type of sense of like closure of Mm -hmm. like not understanding something for a long time and then suddenly, like that light bulb, it makes sense type thing. It was like that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of gave me that, le- like, this movie is why I love Shakespeare as much mm-hmm. as I do because I was exposed to it so young. And even though I didn't understand it, I loved it and I wanted to. I wanted to understand it. This movie made me want to understand what was being, yeah, inspired, um, because it was so gorgeous.
0: I also really loved it. And I felt like, oh, I kind of love this, the way that they meet. I felt like that was such a beautifully romantic situation. And throughout my teen years, I guess you could say, and even in my adolescence, it was, or even in my young adulthood, it was like, I'd love to have this kind of meet cute. And I think that this film is what sparked my obsession with meet cutes and loving sort of falling into rom-coms because this is not a rom-com, but the way that they meet is so sweet, so innocent, so beautiful, and just mm-hmm. so pure of, you know, clearly they have this adoration for each other and are curious about each other. And so that initial snapshot is what sort of sparked this whole, I think I love love. And then mm-hmm. as I get older and I'm watching it more and, you know, I'm getting different things out of it. Cause you know, as you age, you learn and grow and hopefully become wiser. As an adult, I'm just like, oh, this shit is so fucking sad. I showed it to my son maybe last year or two years ago, I think we watched it. Maybe it was last year. It was before I rearranged the living room before we got the dog. So I think it might've been last year during quarantine. No, he was reading it as a freshman. So we watched it his freshman year. So okay. it was like, your teacher's not going to let you watch this version in class. You're probably going to watch the 1960s version, which fine, but mm. And he enjoyed it as well, but he was older watching it than when I first saw it. So the takeaway is a little different and we could have conversations about like, Hey, you know, there's this drug use or whatever. But what was really great about watching it, like that full circle for me was that he didn't think it was dated. He didn't think it was, you know, tacky or cheesy or Mm -hmm. anything like that. He got out of it. What the intention I think is to get out of this film. And I really got into Baz Luhrmann's films after this movie. Like every time he released something, I was like, hey. But now when I rewatched it on Friday, I was like, all right, Baz Luhrmann, you're kind of a one trick pony because there's a lot of elements in this film that are also in Moulin Rouge. Yeah. And some of the commenters on Rotten Tomato were like, you know, fuck this movie. Moulin Rouge is better, which, okay. You can't really compare the two because one's Shakespeare, but like it just kind of- That moment it's a musical. It's a musical. So that moment of realizing like a lot of the techniques that he used that I thought were innovative and creative at the time. When I'm an adult and have studied film a little bit better, it was a little like of a heartbreak, I guess, to be like, you couldn't expand upon what you did in Romeo and Juliet and make it better. Like you literally used some of the same tricks in that kind, and they're very and to me, it was very obvious that they were the same tricks. Uh
1: I have Actually, had a different takeaway. Like, I just find that to be Baslerman styling. Yeah, and I, I can't. It's hard for me as a, it's hard for me as a director to, uh, to like judge another director's specified type of styling because he worked very hard to figure out how to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. And because he does know how to do it correctly like I don't mind seeing it in his films I don't mind like I don't mind um knowing what I'm gonna get Mm. from that director if that sure yeah
0: that makes sense I guess for me it was more of like I expected I thought there was growth and then upon further reflection it's not growth it's just sort of the same style over and over and over again
1: and I will say I didn't I didn't make the connection between Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet being by the same director for years really Years. It was really? years. I mean, I had watched both movies so many times and I knew that Baslerman directed Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. But I had never I for some reason I really just didn't even look into the director of Rouge. <laughs> I, just I just didn't like it wasn't on purpose or anything. It was right. just like, oh, who, who did direct Mulan Rouge? Like, oh I should probably know that. Yeah. And then I realized that it was Baslerman. I was like, oh fuck all right, cool.
0: I like that. I like that. He, that's cool. I don't want people to misunderstand. I find Moulin Rouge to be a beautiful movie. I listened to the soundtrack on CD because I think it came out in 2000 for like on repeat for like to the point where it's not a movie you can watch with me because I will sing along and recite the entire fucking thing. And my favorite scene in that movie is the Roxanne dancing scene because I love tango. Tango is beautiful. And the way that he interpreted tango and the way that they restructured Roxanne, the song was just, to me, that was mind blowing. Like I was like, I, this, I want to be a dancer in a film. Like I want to pursue. I want to go to Hollywood or New York. I don't give a shit. I want to dance. I want to have the opportunity to work with choreographers to make these types of scenes. Of course, that didn't happen because I still live in Modesto and I fucking hate it here. So (laughs) and now if I try to dance, I get winded and I'm chubby. So it's kind of (laughs) like
1: it's so funny. I so that song, that's actually my favorite song from that movie, too. Really? but yeah, it's my favorite one. Um, I got to do one of—I can't remember what year it was—but I got to do a lighting design um, final, and I did Ooh. it to that song. And I cued my lights to that song, and I had dancers going. Oh, it was—it was really, really freaking cool. So yeah, it's—it's de- it's definitely up there in my favorite.
0: Oh, um, so
1: good! Favorite movies ever really yeah um, <laughs>
0: I also realized too when re-watching this over the week um the other day in pre- preparation for a conversation that I still have Romeo and Juliet committed to memory as well and I'm sad and- that I'm pushing 40 because I would love to have the opportunity to take a stab at playing Juliet I love the nurse oh we didn't even talk about her she's was Julieta! Julieta! <laughs> <laughs> sorry people listening She's great. I love her. I warned you she's, I was going to do that. Actually,
1: she like, I have to admit, she's actually one of my favorite characters too in this one. She, her her rendition of the nurse is really great and not like staunchy and too motherly the way that it's played sometimes because mm-hmm. like sometimes the nurse is played as the very maternal role because the mother is, prefers, not. <laughs> is not and prefers Tibble and like you know it's like a whole thing it's a whole thing thing and so like we don't like the mom but we like nurse and the nurse is nice juliet but in this one like she is nice to juliet she loves juliet obviously but she's also (laughs) she's so funny she's so she's got a lot
0: of character speaking she's so sassy yeah speaking of tibble and juliet's mom i really really thought how they portray, like she is oozing sexual desire for other people. I mean, we see it obviously with Tybalt, like to the point, like when Tybalt dies and she's just so, she's devastated in a way that a lover would be devastated, right? And then when she's trying to get Paul Red's character and Juliet together and be like, ooh, these things. She is so, mm, What's the word I'm looking for? Listen, if that was my mom trying to hook me up with that guy, I'd be like, why are you wasting your time? You're trying to, you're trying to hit that yourself. Like mom, you look a
1: little thirsty there. You need some water.
0: Like I can't marry somebody that you're going to lust after and potentially like steal. Like that's awkward. This isn't 90210 people. No, thank you. (laughs) This is not Melrose Place. This is not General Hospital.
1: (laughs) Oh, I feel old. I'm feeling old, Julia. You can't, you can't be referencing all of those. Sorry. <laughs> we'll oh my God. I over- just got like, like flashbacks of being in my in my house during daytime television, <laughs> not doing my homework.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I think that I definitely... Have fond feelings for this film. I am emotionally connected to it, and and it's not just because I think not just because it came out in my adolescence. It holds up after all this time. It'll be interesting to revisit it, say in like ten years or even twenty years, to see if it's something that could potentially still hold up. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree.
1: Um, my, I mean, my overall feeling on this one is I I love everything about this movie. Like I. I have like I said, I have some issues like here and there with specific scenes. Uh like the only, and like the one that can really pop into my head is uh is their death scene.
0: Mm. And
1: Julie when she wakes up, when she wakes up and he die <laughs> and he dies, and then he actually like dies, and she lets out this like she's sobbing, right? She's mm. crying and mm-hmm. she lets out that cry that one cry and it's so awful and i'm like oh they could they needed to retake that one like they needed to reshoot that particular cry right there and i feel like that must have been at least the fifth or sixth take and they were like no fuck it we can't we can't do this one of these will work see and i i i
0: I, i'm gonna have to disagree i love so when he walks into the church and she's laying there Holy shit. That scene is emotionally devastating, but also beautifully designed because there's all these candles lit. She's like clearly being honored as this, you know, beloved daughter and on this altar. It's beautiful. beautiful. The candle lighting. I tell you what, that sealed the deal for that scene. Oh, yeah. And then the whole scene is gorgeous. It's just her cry. It's just just that that one cry cry that I have. It's just that one cry that I have an issue with. Reportedly Claire Deans, when he gives his monologue there, while whilst he thinks she's dead, he delivered that so well that she had, she struggled not to cry because he delivered it so well. And when they cut the scene, he was just, she was, she hit him and was just like, you can't do that because I'm, I almost cried. (laughs) so you know the other thing is too I'm just like this man deserved to be nominated for an award for this movie one of the prestigious ones because he did such a great job like I again I cry in that scene when he's speaking to her the scene in the you know the balcony scene where they're where he's just like watching her he's so animated and so just involved he did such a great job and it's just like man what you do to people in Hollywood to make him mad that your first Oscar nod was like The Revel, Revenant, Revenant. I don't know, whatever. He was, he did so many movies that deserved Academy Award nominations, if not wins, prior to that film. And this is one of them.
1: Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is definitely one of the most underrated actors. 100%.
0: 100%. Because he did Titanic, that's why. Which is
1: bullshit, too, because he did great in Titanic. Like, I know, if you I'm don't think kidding. that he did great in Titanic, you suck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he did, do a great job in Titanic. He did great Shouldn't have Titanic. died. There's plenty of room on that fucking door for him.
1: There really was. Yeah. Okay. It's rude. But I, <laughs> um, no, I, the candles, so that candle scene is, that is how that scene needs to look. That is how that scene should look all the time. Juliet should always be on this immaculate crazy altar because she is the whole catalyst for the for the story is Mm -hmm. is her um and so I just think that they did oh god I love I love that scene it's beautiful
0: I wanted to be her costume one year for Halloween when I was younger obviously that didn't happen but
1: (laughs) your little angel costume
0: yeah
1: oh my god that's so funny
0: and i loved her hair and how long her hair was and then i later found out it was a wig and i was like i feel betrayed <laughs> looking at it yesterday i was just like yeah once you know it's a wig you can't unsee it you know what i mean like hair? once i learned it was a wig i was like i now see that it's a wig and i feel betrayed <laughs> yeah i looked at when i looked it up
1: yesterday because i found that out yesterday i was just like oh but like she was just coming off of my so-called life so i mean she probably last... still had
0: short she probably still had short hair yeah
1: i was about yeah. to say in the last season she still had that like
0: blunt cut yeah red hair <laughs> i like her better as a blonde if i'm gonna be honest same and she's beautiful as a blonde same who yeah she is beautiful Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's always fun when you are here, and then for you to bring your theatrical background to this conversation, I think is an added bonus.
1: Thank you for having me. I always have so much fun with you. Because we're just the best. We really are. We're the dream team, gotta admit.
0: (laughs) Right now, you can watch this version of Romeo and Juliet on on Hulu, but as streaming services go, this could change at any month. so hurry up and get there before it's gone. I don't know. Anyway.
1: Watch it with your kids. If you have not watched this with your, if you have like teenage children, watch it with your kids.
0: I think it's a good, it's a good intro. Like I, like I said, I got into sh- in, into di- Shakespeare in a different way after seeing this. Cause you know, we kind of grew up with it a little bit in the house, but yeah. yeah. As always, you can find us on Instagram at pop culture makes me jealous. Thanks for tuning in y'all. See you next time.